A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be looking at a a crazy case out of California. Are there any others when we're talking about uh, California gun control laws? Specifically, a a lawsuit generated by the uh, COVID closures of gun stores and ranges in the state of California. Remember, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom declined to declare gun stores or ranges essential businesses. Uh, And as a result, you had uh, several counties institute their own closures. This was not a statewide order. Uh, so you've got, uh, individual counties that decided, you know what, we're not going to let gun stores open. Uh, ranges are going to be shut down, you know, again, for public health reasons. Well, there was a lawsuit filed. We saw this actually around the country. Um, a federal judge in Massachusetts actually threw out, uh, governor Charlie Baker's, uh, order, uh, to, uh, keep gun stores and ranges shuttered. Uh, but in California, yeah, those delays uh, while the closures lasted, uh, in one case, this particular case, 48 days. So did that violate anybody's constitutional rights? Well, again, we'll get to that in just a moment. Before we do, however, Biden's America is crushing us. you got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch meat the next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today... Qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call 855-412-3806 today. That's Gold Co. at 855-412-3806. All right. So let's get into this case, which, uh, by the way, was recently decided by um, Judge Consuela Marshall, who was appointed to the bench back in 1980. By Jimmy Carter. Yeah, she assumed a senior status uh, back in 2005, I guess. She was the uh, U.S. District Court for the Central District of California uh, uh, chief judge from 2001 to 2005, assumed senior status nearly 20 years ago, but is still uh, hearing cases at the uh, ripe old age of, I believe, 86, 87. So on the one hand, listen, man, good for her. But uh, on the other, boy, uh, don't agree at all with the uh, decision that came down in McDougal versus Ventura County, California. Um, again, the facts of this case, uh, Donald McDougal, Juliana Garcia, residents of uh, Ventura County, McDougal purchased a farm from a gun store and he left another farm with a licensed gunsmith. And then Ventura County shut down gun stores. McDougal says he was unable to get his firearms and was unable to acquire ammunition because of this stay well order that had been issued. Um, Juliana Garcia, meanwhile, wanted to buy a firearm and ammunition, but she was unable to get a firearm safety certificate or purchase a gun and ammunition because of the stay well order. So Second Amendment Foundation, California Gun Rights Foundation, Farms Policy Coalition, uh, all helped McDougal and Garcia file suit uh, challenging that stay well order as a violation of their Second Amendment rights. 
Uh, back in 2020, the court dismissed the case uh, for failure to make a claim. The uh, plaintiffs appealed this to the Ninth Circuit, and the Ninth Circuit panel uh, concluded that the district court had erred uh, in determining that the Second Amendment rights were not implicated there. So they reversed the trial court decision. Uh, they um, uh, ordered, well, actually, the, first the uh, case went on bonk to the Ninth Circuit. Uh, and on um, June 29th of last year, after the Bruin decision was handed down, the Ninth Circuit vacated the district court's decision, remanded the case back down to trial for, uh, quote, further proceedings consistent with the Supreme Court's decision in Bruin. And so now the trial court gets a hold of this case once again, uh, and they're supposed to look at this again through the lens of Bruin, right? The text, history, and tradition test. Did this stay well order that resulted in gun stores and ranges being shut down for, again, at the time, an open-ended period of time, right? It wasn't like the stay well order said, okay, 48, from, 48 days from now, you guys can open up for business again. It was until we determine that it is safe for you to have customers inside your store, your store must remain closed. So that's the issue here. Whether or not an open-ended order like this that prevents people from lawfully acquiring a firearm and therefore lawfully exercising the right to keep and bear arms violates that right to keep and bear arms. And Judge Consuela Marshall says, no, it does not. It's just fine. In her opinion, she wrote, to quote, Bruin expressly recognized that cases implicating unprecedented societal concerns, like the one here, the COVID pandemic, may require a more nuanced approach. Now, first of all, I would disagree that the COVID pandemic represented a, quote, unprecedented societal concern. You can go back to the Spanish flu uh, epidemic 100 years ago. And uh, honestly, I mean, that killed far more people. That led to uh, a lot of public health orders and things of that nature. But there's nothing to indicate, at least nothing presented by the state of California, that the uh, influenza epidemic of the uh, what 1919, early 1920s, led to the deprivation of individuals' ability to acquire a firearm. So I, I, I find fault with her analogy or her statement that, uh, well, COVID was an unprecedented societal concern. So therefore, we get to sort of make things up as we go along, and it's okay. Uh, Marshall wrote, the temporary delay in the ability to acquire a firearm as a result of the stable order did not impinge on the Second Amendment right as it was historically understood. Indeed, she writes, such regulations are not new, as the Jacobson Court recognized, uh, that in order to hold in favor of the plaintiff, quote, would practically strip the legislative department of its function to care for the public health and the public safety when endangered by epidemics of diseases. Now, keep in mind, again, that this stay well order did not shutter every business in Ventura County. Only those businesses deemed to be non-essential, quote unquote, which included gun stores and ranges. And that was a decision that did not apply uniformly across the country. You had other states, and as uh, a matter of fact, the Trump administration took steps to ensure that fire manufacturers, for example, ammunition manufacturers, were considered essential industries. You had states that also specifically declared that gun stores and ranges were essential businesses. Um, in some cases, in Virginia, where I lived, then-Governor Ralph Northam uh, tried to shut down gun ranges as non-essential but was precluded from shutting down gun stores uh, because of previous state statute uh, that uh, precluded him from doing so. So this was not a one-size-fits-all policy that applied nationwide. This was Ventura County's decision 
And partially Governor Gavin Newsom's decision not to uh, include gun stores and ranges in the list of essential businesses. But she says, again, you know, public health concern. uh, So it's okay. And by the way, it was only temporary. Right. It wasn't like uh, the plaintiffs here could never acquire a farm. They just couldn't do so while this stay well order was in effect. And she says uh, the court, the Ninth Circuit, has already recognized in a case called Sylvester that, quote, there is moreover nothing new and having to wait for the delivery of a weapon. Before the age of superstores and superhighways, most folks would not expect to take possession of a farm immediately upon deciding to purchase one. As a purely practical matter, delivery took time. Our 18th and 19th century forebears knew nothing about electronic transmissions. Delays of a week or more were not the product of governmental regulations, but such delays had to be routinely accepted as a part of doing business. So, you know, the Ninth Circuit upheld the 10-day waiting period, so why not a 48-day waiting period? Marshall went on to write for herself, such government regulations on the possession of a firearm are further supported by permissible licensing regimes requiring applicants to undergo fingerprinting, a background check, a mental health records check, and training in firearms handling employed by 43 states and found to be constitutionally permissible, citing the uh, Bruin decision. Now, here's the thing. While the Bruin court may have held that uh, things like licensing and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, all of the paperwork you got to go through to get a shall issue concealed carry license, which can take some time, are constitutionally permissible, the closure of these gun stores did not negate any of the other California gun laws that already impose a waiting period. So, for example, uh, the uh, named plaintiff in this case, who had purchased a firearm but had not yet picked it up, or Ms. Garcia, who wanted to purchase a firearm and ammunition but could not do so. Ms. Garcia is actually a better example here. Because... After she waited the 48 days to be able to go to a gun store, she was then subjected to a further 10-day waiting period. All Again, all of those other waiting periods applied in the state of California. So what could have been a 10-day waiting period ended up turning into at least a 58-day waiting period for Ms. Garcia. And now we're really stretching the, I'd, I'd say we're stretching the bounds of what is permissible to the point of absurdity. A right delayed is a right denied. And for more than six weeks, and again, it could have been longer, but for more than six weeks, Ventura County kept residents from being able to lawfully acquire a firearm. Although Marshall says not really. She said, quote, notably, the stay well order does not, quote, ban or prohibit anyone from keeping or bearing arms for self-defense in the home or in the public, nor does the stay well order, quote, regulate the purchase, sale, storage, possession or use of firearms in any way. It merely required all non-essential businesses to close during the early weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. Moreover, she writes, the stay well order is distinguishable from the New York law at issue in Bruin, which afforded state officials unlicensed discretion to determine if a gun owner proved proper cause for the licensee to possess a firearm publicly. Uh, in other words, this was a uh, not a provision that was directed solely against gun stores or ranges, but against all non-essential businesses. And so, uh, therefore, uh, it was not discriminatory uh, in its uh, viewpoint. It was not uh, aimed at uh, preventing people from uh, acquiring a firearm, even though that was the result. As Costas Moros, a segment of an attorney uh, who works out of California, pointed out on Twitter, There is no way under California law for you to legally acquire a firearm without going to a gun store, without going through a background check, without subjecting yourself to this 10-day waiting period. There is no way 
If your neighbor says, hey, man, I know it's scary out there. You want to buy my gun? I've got a couple of extra. I, I could use the money. It's a crime for him to sell you that firearm. It's a crime in California for you to purchase that firearm. Unless you trot down to your local FFL, you go through a background check. Everything, the state of California knows what's going on, right? They've got their dealer record of sale and everything else. That's the only way for you to lawfully transfer and lawfully acquire a firearm in the state of California. So while the stay well order may not have been directed specifically at stopping people from exercising their right to keep and bear arms, it still had that same chilling effect. Marshall just shrugs it off, saying, well, you know, it was special. COVID-19 presented a public health emergency to which the county of Ventura responded by mandating ordinances for the safety of others. The stay well order did not prohibit the right to bear arms. Rather, she writes, the stay well order affected the activity of businesses deemed to be non-essential under the circumstances of the pandemic. Yeah, and again, what exactly is non-essential? about a gun store or range, considering we're talking about the fundamental right to keep and bear arms here. And that right, again, was curtailed for non-gun owners, certainly in Ventura County, like Ms. Garcia, who wanted to acquire a firearm. But again, even individuals like Mr. McDougal, who had a gun that he had already purchased, he was just in the middle of that 10-day window, and all of a sudden his store closed, and he could not obtain the firearm that he had purchased. He can obtain a firearm that he had dropped off for uh, repair. So, yes, rights were implicated here. And again, it didn't have to be this way. It wasn't this way in most of the country. Uh, Marshall uh, goes on to say, notably, the stable order allowed for, quote, essential activities, which included, quote, activities and tasks essential to the people's health and safety or to the health and safety of their family or household members. Now, again, I would say that that means the order deeming gun stores and ranges to be non-essential would be completely bogus. But Marshall disagrees. Under the terms of the stable order, she writes, plaintiffs were not prohibited from making arrangements for taking possession of firearms previously purchased or purchasing a firearm through other means. Again, there was no other means to do so. Unless they left Ventura County, drove to a county where uh, a, uh, a gun stores and ranges were, were not uh, shut down by a county order, that would be the only way that they could have lawfully acquired a firearm. Ventura County put this stay well order in place and in doing so, prevented county residents from exercising their right to purchase a firearm, to acquire a firearm, within the borders of that county. Marshall goes on to say, The uh, court finds that the stable order mandating the closure of businesses during the height of the pandemic, which resulted in a 48-day closure of non-essential businesses, is grounded in long-standing tradition of upholding governmental measures to protect public health during times of emergency. And therefore, the case was dismissed. Now, I don't know if uh, the coalition that put this lawsuit together is planning on appealing. Um, I, I, I'm a little concerned that maybe there's an issue of mootness now that the uh, stable order is over and done with. But this still, I think, is an important case, and I, I hope that it is appealed uh, to the Ninth Circuit, because again, what we have here by Judge Marshall is this open-ended statement that as long as the county says, well, gosh, there's this uh, you know, public health emergency. Uh, we're shutting down non-essential businesses. And yeah, by the way, that means gun stores and ranges. 
that everything's okay. Well, what would happen if Ventura County or Los Angeles County or San Francisco County decided to declare, quote unquote, gun violence as a public health emergency? And in doing so, they passed their own stay, uh, stay well order, stay safe order, maybe. Uh, and they deemed, again, gun stores and ranges to be non-essential businesses. And they were the only businesses to be deemed non-essential during this public health emergency. That could last a lot longer than 48 days. What then, under Judge Marshall's reading of Ventura County's order, what would stop these other counties from being able to put an open end, what amounts to an open-ended ban on the operation of gun stores and ranges within their own county based on nothing more than the declaration of a public health emergency? Again, this seems like a, uh, an opinion that could lead to disastrous results. Uh, even without COVID being declared a pandemic and stay-at-home orders and 15 days to slow the spread and all that nonsense. So I do hope that this case um, is not over and done with because Judge Marshall's opinions, I, I just, again, uh, turn our Second Amendment right into a privilege to be doled out or curtailed at the whims of government bureaucrats uh, under the guise, again, of a public health emergency. So we'll keep our eyes open for uh, any news of an appeal in that case. We've also got a lot of stuff going on at the uh, Supreme Court level regarding the uh, ATF. We've uh, written about that at Bearing Arms, so I'd encourage you to check that out today. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a story out of Ohio. A pregnant woman shot dead after an argument uh, with her neighbor Apparently about uh, a plane with a, a laser pointer. Tyrone Hunter indicted this week on two counts of murder, as well as several other felonies, in the death of 26-year-old Isis Lachey Roseman. It was last month, July the 6th, Roseman and her little brother were playing with a laser pointer in the front yard of their home. When Hunter approached them, they got into a verbal disagreement. Hunter threatened to, quote, shoot up the house, according to prosecutors, before he then got in his car and drove off. Authorities say he returned a short time later and allegedly opened fire, killing Roseman, who was 16 to 17 weeks pregnant at the time. According to The Independent, at the time of the shooting, Mr. Hunter was out on bond for two felony indictments from last year for felonious assault, improper discharge of a firearm, as well as drug trafficking. Now, Hunter's original bond was 10% of $105,000. So, what? A little bit, you know, 10500 bucks. It was reduced to $10,000, and then uh, 10% of $10,000, you know, right? Only $1,000. Uh, in May of last year, he was required, however, when he got on a bond to wear an ankle monitor. Now, his bond was revoked when he was arrested on a robbery charge, but prosecutors say the charge was, quote, ignored by a grand jury. So the grand jury declined to indict him. And so his bond was reinstated at $10,000, and he no longer had to wear an ankle monitor. So he was out and about, despite facing, again, two felony charges at the time. Uh, and that, again, is why he was apparently out and uh, able to access a farm illegally, of course. Uh, that was, I'm sure, one of the conditions of his bond uh, when he was accused again of shooting and killing Roseman. His uh, attorney says that uh, his client had no involvement, by the way, in Roseman's death. Uh, Clyde Bennett says he told me he wasn't involved, he wasn't there, and he didn't do it. 
It's not up to him to explain what happened. It's up to the state of Ohio to explain what happened and also to prove what happened. Well, we'll see going forward if the state is able to do that. But again, major questions, I think, remain about why Mr. Hunter was out to begin with. Now, today's armed citizen story from New Hampshire, where the state attorney general says a fatal shooting last year in a Rite Aid parking lot uh, was an act of self-defense and that the man who fired the shots will not be facing any charges. According to the Nashua Telegraph, 35-year-old Jonathan Bright believed that he was about to be murdered by a stranger, uh, Isaac Landry, who suddenly appeared in the Manchester Rite Aid parking lot where Bright was hanging out, talking with a friend. Landry was yelling, was waving around a large tree branch. The New Hampshire Attorney General's Office, in its final report, uh, noted that uh, Bright said, quote, how quickly he was moving the stick and how fast he was running at me and screaming. It was just immediate red flags. And like I said, when he got to the point where he's like now coming after me and I have no idea why and he's screaming at me, I literally thought I was going to be murdered by that guy. He said, I have no idea why it happened. I have no idea where he came from. I have no idea what his motive was to initiate that entire process from the bush. He says, probably the scariest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I literally thought he was going to kill me if he got his hands on me or my gun at that point. So in the AG's report that was released on uh, Monday, uh, it concluded again that Bright was justified in using his handgun to defend himself. Landry, who was 22 years old, suffered from mental illness for years, according to statements that his parents gave investigators. He had been hospitalized at least twice in his life due to episodes related to his illness. Parents told investigators their son probably suffered from bipolar disorder, but he did not have a formal diagnosis. In April of last year, just a couple of months before the shooting took place, he had been treated at the New Hampshire hospital on involuntary hold uh, because uh, he was skipping his medications. He apparently had an incident. Uh, Landry has also suffered from a hearing loss as a child, was known not to wear his hearing aids. So you've got somebody who, you know, again, had been hospitalized for his mental illness uh, on more than one occasion. Uh, an involuntary commitment of a 22-year-old at that point again there has to be a finding by a medical professional that Mr. Landry posed a threat to himself or others at that point in time. And just a couple of months again, after he was involuntarily committed on June 28th, 2022, the uh, victim in this case, Jonathan Bright, um, again, was hanging out with his friend, uh, Stephen Reicher. Uh, Bright was uh, showing off a, a rental car, a, a red Mercedes that he had got while his own car was in the shop. They would often meet after work in the parking lot to catch up, according to the investigator's report. And so while they're talking, Landry walks past them. He's talking to himself, goes into this sort of, you know, little uh, grove of trees and bushes at the parking lot's perimeter. Neither Bright or Reicher, by the way, had ever seen Landry before then. According to the AG's report, seconds later, Landry emerged from the trees, acting in a strange and violent manner. Uh, Bright said that Landry was, quote, going berserk. And again, carrying a large tree branch as he approached the two men, screaming and yelling, he smashed the branch against the pavement, breaking it into several pieces, then started running at the two men, who then ran away from Landry, uh, not knowing what was going on, but just, again, wanting to get away from this guy. Mr. Bright first tried to get into his car. Landry was right behind him, so he didn't have time to you know, open up the door. He then retreats into the parking lot. He's yelling at Landry to stop four or five times. He's backing away from him the entire time, according to the AG's report. Bright finally pulled his pistol from a waistband holster and then told Landry, stop or I will shoot. Landry did not stop. He continued 
uh, towards Mr. Bright. And that is when uh, Bright shot Landry once in the chest. Um, he stopped. According to the AG's report, stood for a moment, bleeding from his chest. Bright, uh, Bright told him to lie flat on the ground. He called 911 himself. He urged the 911 operator to hurry, uh, cooperated with police. And again, now, more than a year later, the New Hampshire Attorney General's office has concluded that uh, Jonathan Bright was acting in defense of himself when he shot and killed Isaac Landry on June 28, 2022. Bright's attorney, Sean Liss, said, I never had a doubt that my client's actions were justified. This is a tragic incident where John lawfully used force to protect himself from an unrelenting attacker. Although the burden of the investigation has now been lifted, John still mourns the incident and sends his sincerest condolences to the deceased family. We commend the diligent efforts of the Department of Justice and their thorough investigation of this matter and hope that this conclusion brings some level of closure to all those affected. Now, today's good deed of the day. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a, a good Samaritan in Iowa who uh, authorities say helped save the live, uh, lives of three people from a reservoir. This was uh, Monday evening uh, outside of uh, Cumming, Iowa, at the uh, Dale Maffitt Reservoir. It was just around 6.45 p.m. when the Dallas County uh, EMS crews got a call requesting help for three people who had been fishing at Moffat Lake and fell into the water. Dallas County Sheriff's Office said a passerby helped two people out of the water and then dove to the bottom of the lake to pull out the third who had been underwater for several minutes at that time. Unfortunately, the 14-year-old girl who was underwater later passed away at a hospital. Uh, the individual who acted to save others, Jason McClendon, who was there at the lake with his wife. He said, my wife and I were driving back from a friend's house. I came across the dam here, and I noticed a lady with a fishing pole ahead of us walked out halfway in the road, walked back, looked a little confused. I thought they were just fishing. And I get halfway down the dam, and I see a man and a young boy running this way with a rope in their hand. McClendon said the boy asked him for help. And so, without hesitation, he said he backed up his car. He and his wife, Jana, got out. They saw a lady screaming hysterically, pointing down at the water. And that's when he saw two people struggling to stay afloat. He said, I looked down, there's a man and, and his boy in the water about 10 feet. They're going under. And I'm thinking right away, I haven't been a former lifeguard. I got to get in there and get him out. McClendon was a lifeguard 30 years ago. He's also a, a military veteran. He said his wife told him, go. And he did. He said, I saw a family in distress. They needed help. Everything felt automatic when I was swimming out there to them. And thank goodness we had the rope there. The uh, man and uh, a young boy would flag down the McClendons had tied the rope to a pole on the roadway, which allowed McClendon to use it as sort of, you know, a pulley to get the uh, two people in the water to shore. The steepness of the wall of the dam actually stopped anybody who was in the water from being able to get out without assistance. McClendon said, we pulled him out. I told the father to stay there because he was exhausted. He also had to take a minute to catch his own breath. He thought, actually, at the moment that this was over. And then he said uh, he, he heard the woman still screaming. The, the family spoke Spanish. McClendon does not. So it took the younger daughter of the family who was fishing to say that there was another child in the water. He said, I took some breaths, and I swam out to where near she was pointing at, and I dove down in the water. He said it was so murky. You could only see about three feet. At that point, emergency crews had, had already arrived on scene. And they were yelling for McClendon, stop, stop. We've got a, a water rescue team on the way. McClendon said, we don't have time for that. 
He said, I've got to go back. I didn't have a choice. They needed help and I was here. I wasn't going to come out of the water without finding her. So he dove down repeatedly without success. He's holding on to the side of a fisherman's canoe when he pops back up. And then he said he thought he saw the girl underwater. He saw a black circle the size of a dinner plate. Uh, and he said, I knew it was her because the whole bottom of the water was green. That shape was out of place. He said, I just had it in my mind. Go down and get up as fast as you can and then head to shore. So he dove down once again, grabbed her by the wrist, pulled her up to the shore where authorities used the rope to pull her to the road, start performing CPR. And Clinton said, I just wanted her to be safe and okay. That's all I was thinking about the whole time. And when I was in the water resting afterwards, that's all I thought about. He said, I said a prayer for her and her family. If it was my family, I'd want somebody to help in the same way. I mean, there are still good people in this world. People do still help each other out. Yeah. Again, unfortunately, the 14-year-old passed away. Um, but Mr. McClendon's heroism, and there's really no other word for it, um, was an act of not just bravery, but an act of kindness for this family. And while the 14-year-old may have lost her life, two other lives were saved. Uh, again, because Jason McClendon was in the right place at the right time was willing and able to do the right thing for strangers in need. So, Jason McClendon, thank you. Thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but we will be back tomorrow with another edition. I know we normally take Fridays off, but, you know, I was off Monday and Tuesday this week, so uh, why not? Let's have a Friday show. Um, I have no idea what we'll be talking about, but I do know it's going to be something important when it comes to your right to keep and bear arms. You know, we write about those important topics every day at bearingarms.com as well. I'd encourage you to check out the website. If you like what you see, why not become a VIP or VIP gold member? Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And as our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. News stories and analysis that matter, just like your contributions. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. Mm-hmm.